Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. I know it's been a few days since I was uh, back on the air last, but I hadn't forgotten about you all, and I certainly hope that you haven't uh, forgotten about me either. But it's good to be back on the air, and here we are again talking about uh, John Ollers, The Swamp Fox, How Francis Marion Saved the American Revolution. This particular uh, session, we will be discussing uh, the time frame of from January of 1775 up until uh, the very end of June 1776. So we have a lot of ground to cover, and let's get this show on the road. So our leadoff uh, bonus question will be the following. In January of 1775, what would South Carolina's Provincial Congress endorse? And if those of you are wondering what does the word provincial mean, it's another word for interim. Um, substitute, uh, an alternative um, until something more permanent uh, comes into place. So, South Carolina's Provincial Congress in January 1775 will, um, will go about implementing the following, and that is a pledge to ban importation from and exportation to England on majority of goods. So, basically... South Carolina will be in uh, complete uh, unison with what was passed in September of 1774 by the Continental Congress, or should I say that first Continental Congress being the non-importation agreement, which basically, you know, bans all goods coming in from England as well as shipping all goods out from colonial America to England. And this non-importation agreement was for a, basically for a one-year um a one-year policy. So, so it's good to know South Carolina's on um, track with this um, because if you don't have a majority of uh, of the colonies who are in favor of doing this, then how can any kind of non-importation agreement go into play? And for those of you who aren't sure about what import and export mean, import means goods that are coming in, export means shipping out. So the Charleston Assembly, and remember this is, you know, South Carolina's capital at this time is still uh, Charleston, as I've mentioned before, but I'll reiterate it again. Uh, The Charleston Assembly is comprised of prominent low country citizens, ranging from the Marion family to Henry Lawrence, John Rutledge, Christopher Gadsden, Thomas Sumter. So think about it, it's one thing to be a legislator, in this day and time, especially in South Carolina, the the same can be said for Virginia. But if you're going to be in the legislature, you have to have a lot of connections, most notably land, money. If you don't have land and money, then how are you going to be able to um, assert yourself, uh, not just with uh, politics, but by representing those below you whom are dependent on your uh, services? So another bonus question is the following. What significant event happened on April 21st, 1775? Well, of course, when I think of April 1775, I always think of the shots heard around the world at Lexington and Concord, Massachusetts. Well, that just happened a few days earlier, but on April 21st, 1775, rebels in Charleston raided armories along with British powder magazines to seize guns and ammunition. This was seen as the first overt act of war in South Carolina. 
So they're not fighting the enemy, but at the same time, they are doing whatever is necessary to be prepared should fighting the enemy come at any um, time uh, down the road in the near distant future. So come June 1st of 1775, the South Carolina Provincial Congress votes to raise three provincial army regiments, two infantry and one cavalry of 500 men each. Cavalry being uh, the horseback, you know, riding on horseback. And at the same time, if you're going to have a, um, what do you call it, um, army and cavalry regiments, it may not be a bad idea to go about creating a council of safety, which also happens on June 1st of that year. Well, without a council of safety, then how can you ensure that the public as a whole will be um, looked after? So here's a good bonus question um, now involving Francis Marion. Whom would serve as Francis Marion's military mentor? His name is none other, none other than, Mr., than uh, Colonel William Moultrie, who is the colonel of the 2nd Regiment. Moultrie sends Marion into the countryside on a recruiting mission where Marion himself will get roughly 60 men from the Santee and PD River regions. And it's one thing to recruit men, but if you're going to recruit them, you've got to look over them. Yes, you would like for them to have some independence, but you've also got to establish guidance for these people. You've got to be able to tell them what's appropriate and not appropriate to tolerate. So Francis Marion's going to see to it that these 60-some men are clean-looking, decent, and are soldier-like presentable. In other words, yes, you can show up in a brigade with a rifle, musket, but you want to be um, presentable. And, and by being presentable, you're not only looking after yourself, but, you have, but you're showing respect for the rest of your uh, brigade or unit. Without that, then how are you going to be uh, valued by everyone else around you? George Washington saw the same things as well in order to, for there to be a, um, a coherent and uh, functional continental army. Another bonus question will be the following, or rather I should say is the following. What would become Francis Marion's first military mission come September of 1775? The mission is the following, to capture the British post being Fort Johnson located on the east end of James Island at the entrance to Charleston's Harbor. Fort Johnson is, at, is the main fortification post protecting city's harbor. The Safety Council is very concerned at this time about what the new British royal governor, being William Campbell, could have in store. They're not really 100% sure if anything is imminent, but they are worried. It's not so much that he is a royal governor, but that he could plan an attack on Whigs, a.k.a. Patriots, using backcountry loyalists. And if that doesn't scare the Whigs enough, he could always turn to um, Indians on the frontier, most notably the Cherokees, as well as slaves who are um, in rebellion. So the bottom line is, is that um, you have to be on the you have to be on the offensive side of things as well as defense, but you also have to be on special teams as well if you're on the Whig side because you just don't know what to expect. 
but I think it's fair to say that Whigs and Tories in South Carolina are venturing with all three phases of the game. You know, they're not going to just sit back and say, well, the enemy's not going to strike us. Don't assume anything. So, come September 14th of 1775, you have about 150 men, or let alone patriots, that get split up into three groups of 50 upon arrival. And, of course, the main objective is to go to uh, arrive into Fort Johnson, which they do um, in the early dawn hours of September 14th. And upon arrival into the inside of the fort, the doors are already open. This is a bad mistake by the British troops that are there because, for one, you've left the door open, but two, what does that mean? Easy access for the enemy to come inside to launch a surprise raid attack or let alone force you to surrender without a fight. Well, the second option ended up, or let alone the second um, scenario that I just mentioned a second ago, actually is the one that did happen. A small British troop presence, less than 10, surrendered without a fight. So the capture of Fort Johnson led to a unique first, being the raising of a non-British flag which had been designed by Colonel Moultrie himself. The flag had blue field and white crescent, which was in honor of the 2nd Regiment. So this uh, capture of Fort Johnson is going to... um, bolster the morale of the Whigs and the Patriots, but also those who say were neutral as, you know, they weren't sure who to to be on which side to take, but it will bolster the morale of those who are neutral into leaning into the uh, Whig camp. So this defeat is uh, very uh, disheartening for um, the British royal governor being for uh, William Campbell He actually uh, flees for his life in the aftermath of the uh, capture of Fort Johnson, and he, believe it or not, will become the last royal governor that South Carolina will have. Another bonus question uh, to think about is the following. Before 1775 came to an end, would Colonel Moultrie give Francis Marion another mission? Uh, He would, but the ironic thing is about this mission... The good news is that Marion's ranking status has improved. He is now the ranking captain of the 2nd Regiment. He goes with about 90 men to, to defend an arsenal at Dorchester, which is probably about, oh, a good 20 miles outside of Charleston, where they thought they would be engaging in, with a, a band full of Tories, but it turns out that uh, this doesn't happen. But nonetheless, it's, it's still a good thing that Marion and his men go to this arsenal at Dorchester because, you know, there's a 50% chance that, yes, you could be faced with the enemy, and then there's a 50% chance nothing happens, but the bottom line is by showing up, you're at least uh, encouraging your men below you as a commander that, hey, you've got to be thinking nonstop. You can't just sit back and wait for the enemy to come to you. Sometimes you have to go to them Uh, Other times you may fall back, but you can't fall back forever. You've got to be, you've always got to be having different strategies in mind to uh, back up what your main strategy will be when uh, combating the enemy. Now, it should be interesting to note that, um, and most people wouldn't know this, but I'm going to throw it out at you all. 
the American Revolutionary War's first land battle south of New England did take place in November of 1775 in South Carolina at a location, it was, it was a trading post known as uh, 96. And there is a place in South Carolina still today called 96. It's located in the northwest uh, part of the state. But the battle itself did happen. But um, a, a good bonus question, um, this will be the first of three bonus questions here. What battle in South Carolina during December of 1775 would end Tory hostilities from the backcountry? That is the area that's uh, well west of, um, of what we call like Charleston, um, basically well past the Atlantic Ocean. But the battle in South Carolina that ends Tory hostilities in the backcountry, especially in December of 1775, is the Battle of Great Cane Break. Which, is the, which borders the South Carolina-North Carolina line. It was also referred to as the Snow Campaign because 30 inches of snow fell. I'm not sure over how many days, but 30 inches of snow did fall, so I can't imagine um, fighting in the snow. But it did happen, and as a result, the Tories were defeated, and it led to Whig control in South Carolina for the next four years. So this is a huge, um, another big boost for uh, morale, especially for the Patriots. So another bonus question to think about is the following. South Carolina, along with the colony up north, would become the first to do the following at the start of 1776. It turns out that South Carolina and the colony up north being New Hampshire would become the first two colonies to oust their royal governors by replacing them with the opposite, including an adoption or implementation of state constitutions. So we're replacing South Carolina and New Hampshire, replacing royal governors. They've ousted their royal governors and replaced them with non-royal governors who actually represent the people. That is, the people from within. They're not being... Um, chosen by some outside country that's 3,000 miles away only to represent perhaps the, the needs of a select few. We could be looking at our first taste of real representation and we also might be looking at something down the road called taxation with representation instead of taxation without it. So th the next bonus question, or let alone bonus question number three, in this segment is the following. Prior to 1778, did British forces, led by Commander William Howe, pursue a southern strategy? Well, you know, most of us have already been under the assumption that the southern strategy doesn't begin until 1778. That's true, but a smaller version of a southern strategy actually took place around the summer of 1776, especially in June, where the British did um, move towards what's known as uh, Sullivan's Island, which is at the mouth of the Charleston Harbor. The citizens of Charleston uh, sprang into action very quickly after multiple enemy warships and a large landing force reached the city. Now, who's, who's, who do you all think might be the, um, 
lead commander of this um, campaign in the South for um, the Continentals. You'll hear about him at later um, battles, but most notably his um, presence in Charleston is very significant. His name is Major General Charles Lee, that famous um, Lee family that will produce a, favor, a famous um, Confederate uh, general in the Civil War later on down the road, otherwise known as Robert Edward Lee. But Major General Charles Lee will be the first commander of the Southern Department. He also brings about many troops with him from up north to bolster Charleston's defense. So it's good to have a vet, uh, what you call a veteran who knows um, what it takes to fight a battle, but also uh, knows what it takes to bring in reinforcements. Now, Fort Sullivan is going to be the big um, target that the British want. But let me ask you all this. What is Fort Sullivan constructed out of? Believe it or not, it's constructed out of palmetto tree logs and sand instead of stone and other forms of masonry. Why aren't they using stone or let alone masonry? Because, you know, when I think of military forts in the 18th century, I always tend to think of them with stone or masonry. The problem is that stone and masonry aren't, other forms of masonry aren't, simply are not available. Palmetto logs, logs, and sand are the only materials available for defense protection. So, when does this attack on Fort Sullivan begin? June 28, 1776. Isn't that not far away from when from when all 13 colonies will um, officially declare their independence from England? Yes, but at the same time, the events that are going on in South Carolina, most notably on June 28, 1776, they're taking center stage, but yet the people of South Carolina, while they have sent four men up north to Philadelphia, to represent their state in uh, what will eventually become known as uh, declaring separation from England or let alone Declaration of Independence, South Carolina's got a challenge on their hand by dealing with um, an unprecedented, a large number of uh, British frigates. And many of these frigates will attack Fort Sullivan, but there's good news to report in that they don't have a whole lot of success. How so? The palmetto logs were so resistant to where British cannonballs could not penetrate through the fort's interior. How can uh, tree logs, let alone palmetto tree logs, prevent this? Well, as I said earlier, the, the cannonballs couldn't penetrate through the fort's interior. Think about this. The... Um, the thickness of a palmetto tree, and I've and I've touched an actual palmetto tree, and I've um, felt the thickness of it. It is so thick that the cannonballs that were fired could not break through the the um, the logs themselves to where they would have split in half. So it is fair to say that hey, you don't always have to have masonry, or let alone stone, to defend your fort. But if you do have other means of uh, defense protection, 
in this case being palmetto logs, and they do the job, then hey, it does pay to be creative when you when most especially in this case knowing that resources are very uh, limited so the british have really uh, struck out here given that they can't um, their cannonballs from their ships aren't able to penetrate through the fort's interior the british were also to make matters worse they were also repelled by land and water and, and one of the big reasons why they were repelled by water is because their boats could not get through the harbor. In other words, they thought that they had enough depth underground for their boats to navigate freely. It turns out they didn't. So um, William Howe and Sir Henry Clinton decide that it's just best to scrap this mission and go back north to New York. So here's another important bonus question here. What is important about June 28th in South Carolina, which still gets celebrated today? Well, the answer is the following. It's, uh, it's known as uh, Carolina Day. It's in honor of William Moultrie, or Colonel William Moultrie, I should say, and his leadership behind defending Fort Sullivan, which later became Fort Moultrie. And it didn't actually become Fort Moultrie, folks, until after World War II ended. Now, I know I might be getting a hit way ahead of the game here, but I think it's nice to know that, um, that our Revolutionary War figures still are not forgotten to this day. And um, so if any of you all here learn or hear about what's called Fort Moultrie, South Carolina, think of Colonel William Moultrie from the American Revolution. And if you see the flag or recognize the flag of South Carolina, it's got a palmetto tree and a crescent moon with the colors of blue and white, which are um, which represented South Carolina's Second Regiment during the American Revolution, which was designed by none other than uh, Colonel William Moultrie himself. He designed the um, flag that we um, know as um, as uh, South Carolina today. Matter of fact, it was really the uh, first non-British flag. And when we captured Fort Johnson, we um, raised, it was the first time that a non-British flag had been raised on a fort leading up to the American Revolution or, or around the time that the American Revolutionary War had first uh, broken out. So we have uh, Colonel William Moultrie to thank for that. So um, I, I should end this uh, session tonight or wherever you all are at listening to uh, the following that um, prior to the fort battle at Fort Sullivan, um, South Carolinians had not, were not anywhere close to being 100% unified behind separation from England. But it is fair to say that by June 28th, the same day as the battle at Fort Sullivan took place, Thomas Jefferson who would become the author of the Declaration of Independence, a, a Virginian, Thomas Jefferson delivered the first draft of the Declaration of Independence to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia. So many of y'all are wondering, well, um, if he introduced the first draft of the Declaration of Independence to the Continental Congress on the 28th, why did, why did it take another six days before uh, finally um, approving the document? 
Well, we have to remember, folks, Thomas Jefferson had to make about 86 revisions to the Declaration of Independence. It didn't happen just overnight. John Adams and Benjamin Franklin were very um, influential in helping Jefferson um, get the document just right to where it sounded good, but it also um, others would um, agree to the language of the document. Um, historians do know that Jefferson had written down several other grievances against the king, but some of those uh, grievances were eliminated for various personal reasons as well as um, political purposes. Uh, I do know that um, Jefferson had mentioned one grievance that was taken out had to do with the elimination of slavery, and it turns out that the South Carolina delegation had that be removed because the South Carolinians were dependent upon the institution while at the same time wanting separation from England, but they basically told Jefferson, look, if you want us to go along with the document, you will have to um, omit the grievance with regards to ending slavery. So Jefferson had no other choice but to go along with it, and the rest is history, where the South Carolina delegation led by... um, for example, led by Arthur Middleton Jr., um, was the uh, and uh, Thomas Hayward were the leading um, forces behind that. So we must remember that um, while yes, there were grievances addressed, and there were several of them against the king, there were others that got addressed that were um, eliminated for various uh, personal and political reasons. But in the end. A document was sent by the Committee of Five, being Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Roger Sherman, and Roger and Robert Livingston. It was unanimously approved. Um, the motion to approve um, the Declaration of Independence was on July 3rd, but it wasn't until July 4th that everybody came together to um, to officially approve the document as the legal binding document that authorized the separation from England. So, as for South Carolina, knowing that um, their battle at Fort Sullivan was the same day that Jefferson submitted uh, his first draft of the Declaration of Independence to the Continental Congress, the outcome at Fort Sullivan obviously was a successful one because many in South Carolina, most notably those residing in Charleston, had a lot more to feel good about. On the other hand, it's very good to feel great about what you have accomplished, but sadly, many in Charleston went back to resuming a normal life, or let alone normal lives, because they had thought that they had seen the last of the British. They thought, okay, we've defeated them. They, they're going back up to New York, where they're going to stay. They're not going to touch us. But little did they know that in that the British would return in a matter of a few years. So, basically, um, it's one thing to assume that you've seen the, the last of an enemy, but when you get too complacent, then um, a lot of uh, bad things can uh, surface that can uh, have negative repercussions, which we will find out as we get uh, past 1776 and eventually into 1778. 
Uh, Francis Marion has seen it all, folks, right now. He, he really has. He has really worked his way up into uh, the ranks, being um, given that he is uh, Colonel William uh, Moultrie has really uh, entrusted him with some unique missions. Marion, though, he sees some of the work um, rewarding, but he's looking for more. But he is going to find more here soon. So I look forward to being back on the air again here soon with another uh, podcast session of John Aller's The Swamp Fox and How Francis Marion Saved the American Revolution. Thank you for listening, and uh, take care for now.